Welcome to the Streets and People podcast presented by Get Around Cabo Car Free. Get Around Cabo Car Free is a volunteer community movement advocating for more transport options for people who can't drive in Caboolture and Morayfield in Queensland. In today's podcast, we'll be covering one of these three broad topics. It might be Road Rules 360, where we discuss Queensland's road rules, the legislation, the design for people walking, biking, in wheelchairs or on a scooter. It might be Not Everyone Drives, where we chat with people whose transport options don't include a car in a car-dependent society. And it might be People and Projects, where our conversations are with people working on a specific aspect of inclusive transportation. My name's Wendy. We're doing People and Projects. It's our very first episode today. We are here on Gubby Gubby Country in Caboolture in Queensland. I realise we haven't been doing an acknowledgement of country and I very much respect our elders past, present and emerging and actually for taking care of country for 65,000 years, which doesn't seem to be something that us white people are any good at. <laughs> We're not going to make it another part of 60 years. Now, our first person is John Burrell, who is co-host of our other series called Road Rules 360. And John has special co-host privileges. Normally, I would interview people who are talking about walking, cycling, wheelchairs, scooters, public transport, and maybe urbanism, not so much motorbikes, but you have special privileges. So today we're including motorbikes. Maybe introduce why you started the group and how long you've been riding a motorbike. What was the background to that? Okay, it's probably a long story, which I can, I'm happy to cut short. My name is John Burrell. I've been riding motorcycles for 50 51 years. Sounds a bit like Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) 51 years, 68, and I hope I'm still going to be riding motorcycles in another 15 or 20 years' time. Might have to give up one day, but certainly not, not for a long time yet. Yes, I've been involved in a range of different groups that involve motorcycling, but the current group that I'm part of and help to run is called Helping New Motorcyclists. I mean, motorcycling itself is fun. You can just do it for whatever reason, just to clear your head. It's not necessarily a mode of transport. It's more, in many ways, just a lifestyle. You enjoy motorcycling. You get out, you see the sights, you make new friends. Queensland is on its own nationally in this respect. If you're a learner motorcyclist, you have to be accompanied by another motorcyclist. That's a legal requirement. So for the first three months, and three months is the minimum period of time that you're a learner, basically you have to have somebody riding along or not necessarily on a bike, you can be in a car, but a supervisor has to be there with you while you're riding if you're a learner. This presents a little bit of a problem for somebody that wants to learn to ride a motorbike but hasn't got any motorcycling friends. That's where our group comes in. Our main reason for existing is help support new motorcyclists, learner riders in accompanying them for their first baby steps in riding a motorbike. When you were saying that, I remembered decades and decades ago, I read a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> That's a true yes. baby boomer it's classic. Book. It's very famous. <laughs> was it M. Scott Peck or was it Robert Percy? And my favourite line, and probably the only thing that I remember from that book, was the idea that when you're in a car, you are basically looking out to the world as if it's a television screen. Mm-hmm. And when I had a Vespa, for a short period uh, 10 years ago it, that was in New South Wales I was living there mm-hmm. and I was a uni student and it was really cheap to run it was really handy for me at that time I absolutely got that sense of feeling connected with the environment yes, that was really absolutely. I really yeah. loved that 
but my family were completely delighted and huge sighs of relief when I said I'm going to get rid of the Vespa because actually I'm a really bad rider. <laughs> I'm a really bad car driver. People always talk about how great they are at driving and riding but I'm the first to admit I'm really bad. Yeah. I wanted to ask because now that you and I've been co-hosting Road Rules 360 for a little while, I've mentioned helping new motorcyclists and no one has heard of you. That's first up. And the other thing they say is, I'm involved with this Ulysses Club. Now, I don't know what that is. How do you differentiate between perhaps what you do to helping new motorcyclists, Ulysses, and I don't know, what other clubs are there and what oh, is the loads difference? And loads of different, different groups. We are essentially a Facebook group. Ulysses, it's a long-running club set up with chapters all across the country. A lot of people in our group are also members of Ulysses, but there's loads and loads of different groups. Some groups mainly made up of young folk who just want to scream over the horizon at 160. Other groups that specialise in old motorcycles or historic vehicles. And the list goes on. You can think of all sorts of different dirt riding is another thing, off-road. There's clubs and groups that, that cater for those people. There's people that like to go away for long periods and very long rides, you know, maybe away for a week or so, camping and what have you. Those people have specific groups that they belong to as well. Helping new motorcyclists, it's uh, pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> that's what we do. We do other things as well, but that's our reason for being yeah, often you'll say to me when we meet on the Monday morning, because John and I meet every Monday morning for Road Rules 360, he's very generous with his time and offers all of our Road Rules 360 podcasts out of his own time. There's no money, there's no exchange here. This is an act of love We're on volunteers. his part. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you often say that you have gone for a ride or you do a charity yeah, ride or yes. well we do a lot of organized group rides it's probably the best way for new riders to gain experience sure you can go out in small groups or even one-on-one and usually we start off that way like a brand new learner or join the group post up help i live in the xyz suburb is there a supervisor here who could take me out because if there isn't then they're stuck at home and they can't ride their motorbike for three months which is a crazy situation, but we won't go there. <laughs> no, no, we're, it's, we're it's all a, it's about sharing the love. It is, we're it's sharing the love, sharing right. the love, sharing the love. That's right. One-on-one's where we start off usually. I've got on this afternoon, going to take a guy out for, for a bit of a ride. I've taken him a few times. He's uh, struggling a little bit, but he'll come good with a bit of experience. More confidence they gain, the the more we would be inviting them to join our formal group rides, which can be anything from 10 riders to 50 or 60 riders organised by our group. There's a lot of rules and regulations that we impose on ourselves for these group rides. We have a leader, obviously. We have what we call techs, which is tail end charlie if there's more than 20 people we would usually have two tail end charlies in high-vis vests so all the riders between the leader and the the tech are in the group ride so to speak for safety for conviviality and and, and enjoying time with friends we usually have shorter routes anything up to the maximum of about 250 kilometers but usually between 100 and 150 kilometers would be a standard formal group ride. We would usually go and have a cup of coffee or lunch, meal somewhere at a destination, and then ride back again. The routes are all posted. We have a pre-ride brief. 
there's always new people that come on the ride. We always make sure that everybody listens to the pre-ride brief. So we talk about safety, we talk about riding in a staggered formation wherever it's appropriate. We make sure everybody's aware that it's not a race. The leader will be travelling at or below the speed limit. Occasionally the lead rider will stop and make sure everybody's caught up. As soon as the lead rider sees the two tail end Charlies with their high-vis vests on and waving, then we carry on again so we make sure we stay together. We use corner markers, which works very well. The lead rider coming up to a turn will just point. The rider directly behind stops on the side of the road turns the indicators off and points left or right with their arm, indicating to the rest of the following riders which direction to take at mm. that intersection. As the tail end Charlies come up, they hang back and the corner marker then moves into the back ah. of the group. It's a very, very good system. So you started it, I think you said, three, four years uh, ago? Three and a half years ago we've been going on this particular group, yes. Um, been involved in other groups. There was a little bit of a falling out, I don't mind admitting that, with some of the leaders in the previous group I was part of. And in the end, myself, my wife and another person decided that we would form our own group and do it our way. And we've gone from strength to strength. We've got about 7,500 members now, 7,300 members. Obviously not all of them are active. <laughs> I wouldn't want to take a 7,000 rider group out somehow, but most of our group rides are between 20 and 40 riders in the group. We're here in Morton Bay. You have people who are probably in Brisbane. And where else have you got people? And maybe oh, yes. where do you have gaps that you would oh, like to yes. have some people come Southeast Queensland is sort of our main area that we operate in, but we do have members all over Queensland. You know, there's people from Mount Isa, there's people from Townsville and Mackay, people from Cairns who are members of our group. It's quite difficult for them though. Well, I suppose as our numbers grow, it becomes less difficult because there's more people in their local area to be able to either supervise learners or be supervisors for learners. And that's all it takes. There's two lots of people in our group you're either a supervisor well actually no that's not true i need to qualify that you've got the the learners who are usually people who are brand new to motorcycling and have their learner license for up to three months and they're supervisors to be a supervisor the only qualification you need is to have held your open motorcycle license for that particular class of motorcycle for 12 months or more you then become a supervisor there's a group of people in between they're part of the group as well and they're basically people who have got their first motorcycle license but they haven't held it long enough to be able to supervise right. there's a lot of very active people in the group who fit that category and they're often the ones who fill up our group rides because right. the l-plate's gone they don't need to be supervised but they still enjoy the company of the group rides they enjoy riding their bike when they can we do midweek rides and weekend rides all different days there's a, a leadership group and people who help with the leading and with the organization of the groups we're affiliated with other groups groups come and go all the time and what would you say is a common maybe issue you see that when people are brand new motorbike riders there is this learning curve where you start you're super careful yes. Yeah. and there are probably common traps that people fall into in that space and then there's this transition where you start to get a bit of confidence but you don't yet have the skill set yes. what do you notice about people who are in that beginning stage and the middle stage and what do you look for when you yes. go ah oh, yes this person's got it what are those the first thing that comes to my mind is that 
there is a lot of different types of people out there. Some pick up motorcycling very quickly, want to go on and do big things and want to race, and, you know, do all sorts of crazy things. There's another group of people, more mature folk, who either just want to commute cheaply or just want to enjoy motorcycling at the weekend, social events and riding. It's, it's pretty hard to pick who's going to be in what group and what category. There's groups that cater for a whole range. I mean, one of the things I didn't mention was sports bike riders. You know, there's a lot of people who go on track days. There's two or three motorcycle racing tracks around the place where if you want, you can go, you can pay a lot fee for a license, and make sure you've got all the right gear and you can go and be taught how to race around a racetrack. My racing days are over. You have to be a very careful rider in order to stay injury free. There's a lot of discussion and you hear lots of people saying, oh, motorcycling's dangerous, you shouldn't be doing that because you're going to fall off and hurt yourself. And there's an element of truth in that. A lot of people who are inherent risk takers are drawn to the whole thing of motorcycling, potentially dangerous pastime. But one of my favourite statements is it doesn't have to be the case because you can reduce the risk quite significantly by learning how to do things safely, how to ride defensively, how to stay upright and not fall off. If you do that, then A, you generally prolong your life and B, it's actually a lot more enjoyable to do that. I have just as much fun travelling at 60 kilometres an hour as I do at 160. 160? On, on a racetrack. Once you... upon a time, story. Amma, Amma, Amma. He knows better than that. He's a naughty boy. So speaking of speed, so there's a guy who lives in my street, just on the opposite side. You can see his fence at the front there, and he has a new motorbike. And as he comes out in the morning, I had to have words with him because I was going, "Gee, that's pretty offensive." Internal combustion engine on a a motorbike is fully exposed so it's not like a car where you can rev and yes i feel it but it doesn't have quite that piercing ring that i get on a motorbike so this guy he comes out and he goes vroom bug your ears and, up because it's well, it's not there. just the, my ears but it's my body luckily on this podcast he hasn't gone out this morning or he's already left or whatever it is but definitely i hear it and i did go over there and he goes oh can you hear that because the motorbike helmet is yeah fully encompassing of the ears the sense of dampening of the noise is there's a, that's true there's a saying which i absolutely do not agree with people say loud pipes save lives because they think that oh if people can hear them then they're going to make way for them not knock them over there's absolutely no evidence at all to say that that's correct but it is a thing with a lot of motorcyclists put aftermarket exhaust pipes on their motorcycles in order to make them much, much louder than they are when they're bought. The motorcycle that you buy out of the shop is never that loud. Sometimes you can get a nice sound and it's a, it's a thump or a, it's a growl or whatever, but it's never offensively loud. The reason you hear offensively loud motorcycles is because people have put aftermarket exhaust pipes on to make them so. I really hate obnoxiously loud exhaust pipes. Oh, I'm so glad you yeah. said Now, I used to have a Vespa. So Lovely. Th- so did I, actually. You, you know, my very first motorcycle was a Vespa 90. Was it, oh, that that was like an old one. Oh, that was one of the ones with a spare tire underneath. Oh, so my dad had one of those. The difference between high beam and low beam was about a metre. <laughs> I got it and it didn't last very long. A few trips down the back lanes. And I was only 16 at the time over in the UK. The tire was flat. I thought, oh, 
how do I pump it up? That's how ignorant I was yeah, back right. then. Oh, I've got to pump the tyre up. How do you do that? Dad, help. <laughs> <laughs> when I got it, I just had to try and get some skill up. So I used to go down to the local car park at Sunday morning at 6am or something. Yeah, yeah. Just go went round and round and round and round and round. Is that what you commonly do? Oh, or? absolutely. We, we have a special event that happens on Sundays once a month which we call slow moves and it's something that you have to be able to do to get your motorcycle license. A lot of slow type maneuvering, figure of eights, slalom run between cones, emergency stopping, riding very slowly, slow walking pace and staying upright, learning how to swerve to dodge obstacles. There's a lot of techniques and skill and we, we put on an hour and a half session one Sunday morning a month for people to partake in that. It's essential. A lot of people, they say it's easy to ride fast in a straight line, but what about manoeuvring this big heavy machine around your garage or on your steep driveway or whatever? There's always a challenge there. And we help to build people's confidence by putting on these slow moves events. It doesn't have to be our special event. Just at the weekend, in fact, there was uh, a couple of learners who were coming up to doing their license soon and they just wanted a refresher. So what we do, we just jump into a local empty car park and we just go through all of these maneuvers. You don't even have to have the cones there. There's ways of setting up doing these maneuvers in a car park without any props. All good skills that you need to be a safe motorcycle. In Wales and in England, they've basically dropped the speed limit down to 20 miles an hour, which is 30 kilometers an hour. On a motorbike, what is the minimum speed that you can go to keep upright? There's a lot of motorcycles these days have digital speed meters. It records a number. If you can slow ride at three kilometers an hour, you're doing very well. Well, It's pretty much steady. That's fantastic. So if you can ride, stay upright, looking straight ahead, ride in the clutch, which you have to do, maybe even apply the back brake a little bit, you can get the speed down to three kilometres. But oftentimes when you're in a queue of traffic in the morning, if you're a commuter, that skill, you're using it all the time, creep along with the rest of the traffic. The, the 20 miles an hour thing, that is only in urban areas. Yeah, so very that's obviously slow. not on highways. Yeah. I think you have a lot of very bored motorcyclists. In that yeah, area. yeah. No, th- there is a global movement to yeah. reduce road deaths from cars yeah. and get more people more active, walking, cycling to school. And the simplest way to do that is just bring down the speed limit of suburban roads from currently they're 50 kilometres an hour. Certainly there are many places across Australia which are bringing them down to 40. Yes. In We're laggards. Globally speaking, everywhere else is bringing them down to, to to 30 kilometers an hour. Now, I wanted to ask you, you're on the board of the advisory to the Queensland uh, government? Uh, or? Queensland Motorcycle Council. Uh, yes, I'm on the committee of that. And that's an incorporated organization set up with three executive officers and a committee to lobby all levels of government to make things better for motorcyclists. I'll tell you what, it's, it's an uphill task <laughs> because we often joke about this, but it's not a very funny joke, really, because you could sum up the state government attitude towards motorcyclists in one word. Yeah. It's too dangerous. So it's a huge task that we have as a committee representing motorcyclists to swing that attitude around to actually for them to start encouraging people to ride motorcycles understanding the benefits of motorcycling because there are a lot of benefits there's a report 
fully peer-reviewed report called the Leovin Report, which is Belgian. They did in-depth study of how you can literally get rid of all of your congestion any town mm. by encouraging people to ride motorcycles. 10% of your commuters, if they move from a car to a motorcycle, you reduce congestion by 30%. 40%. Well, I read the one which says if you can get 10% of drivers to bicycles, mm. so I think it must yeah. be the same, and they said it would reduce congestion by 40%. Well, it was specifically looking at motorcycles rather than bicycles. And I think what you would get there is a flavour of the more longer distance type of commute. Because I think people, I used to cycle into work quite a bit, or at least part of anything above sort of 10 or 15 mm. kilometres each way, and you're pushing the envelope a bit yeah. for a cyclist. For sure. So if you've got a lot of commuters, which you have here in southeast Queensland, mm. commuting up to 100 kilometres mm. to get into work, it's not going to be by bicycle. Motorcycle Cycling will, it's something that the state government particularly doesn't want to know. They sort of basically bung their ears up. Anything that's not a car, I just go state government, la, 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 you know. My neighbour across the way, he actually commutes an hour and a half each way. And they're going to move house because that's too far. There is a a line, somebody did some analysis and said that most people will commute up to an hour. Once you get to an hour and a half, people decide they need to move or change jobs or something's got to give. And I think that's interesting about what you say once you get above 10 kilometres. So apparently seven in 10 journeys within 10 kilometres of home and those could be done by e-bike mm. but it's true that if you're someone like my neighbor where he's going you know right to the other end of mm. town he's an hour and a half in a car yeah. if he could do that on a motorbike i'm sure he would well he would be doing society a huge favor if he were to do that but he would also be reducing his travel time as well One of the things the state government has done, which we're very grateful for, is legalise lane filtering. So long as it's done safely, it really is a good thing to be for the motorcyclist where you've got heavy congestion, more than one lane, you can ride your motorcycle between the two uh, rows of cars to get to the front. It's it's taken a while, I think, for car drivers to realise that it's legal for us to do that now. There was a lot of of abuse shouted at us when the laws first changed. This, once again, state government just not telling folks the way they should. But as time's gone by, I think it's become more well known that it's a legal thing to do so long as it's done safely. Actually, one of our listeners from the first four episodes, so this will be episode number five of our amazing podcast, one of our listeners said he appreciated your comment that this is part of the solution for climate change. Yes. There's definitely going to have something to give about cars, that sense of entitlement to the road space and the urban landscape. It is going to have to shift in order to be able to live on the planet. Mm. It's one of those things and and people are very reluctant, certainly this auto-obesity where cars are getting bigger and bigger. Actually, that's an interesting question. So in terms of cars getting bigger, motorcycles getting bigger, or how is the road space being navigated between cars and motorcyclists? And you've also talked about this thing, Unrider, I think you called it. Yeah, and so how does that work with accidents? Well, they're not accidents, I'm going to call them collisions. And cars and motorcycles and unriders. Yeah, well, talk about unriders separately. We are classed as a vulnerable road user. I have to say that there hasn't been much of a recognition of the fact that we need our own road space. Lane filter is one thing. Things like 
bicycle lanes and bus lanes. There's a general prohibition on motorcyclists using those, with some exceptions. Transit lanes, there's a few of those around in Brisbane. We are allowed in those. We're one of the few groups or cohorts of road users that are allowed in transit lanes. But I think primarily we just take up the same road space as uh, as a car. We just don't need as much of it. Yeah. And we can ride side by side two motorcyclists within the space of a lane quite legally. When you look at the amount of space we use and the amount of space we create by being motorcyclists rather than car drivers, it really is quite significant. Unriders are, this is was all to do with what we discovered when we looked at a lot of the statistics around motorcycle crashes, a very significant proportion, something like 35% of all injury crashes, either caused by or are involving unriders. These are people who are either unregistered motorcycles, unlicensed, full of drugs, they're criminal lifestyle people who are I've been in prison loads of times. They are not a typical mm. law-abiding motorcyclist. I just want to put in a, a little heads up. So I have a friend who was in jail. It was such a shock for her. It was a complicated situation. So we're not talking about somebody who just ended up in jail as a once-off. This is people who are so recidivist and it is a lifestyle yes, choice. Yes. I don't want anybody to feel that because they have gone to jail. People go to jail that. for a lot of different yeah. reasons and yeah. some communities are targeted. Our First Nations people, they are the most incarcerated yes. people in the whole of the planet yeah. by head of population, yeah. which is just terrible. So That's we're not awesome. talking about that. We're talking about people who have a lifestyle choice of not following the rules. The prevalence of this cohort of people being involved in crashes that create trauma is significant. It really is. If you actually take those people out of the picture, you start to realise that actually, if you're a careful motorcyclist and are obeying the rules and doing the right thing, your risk of having a crash is actually not as high as the government likes to make. And they'll tell you, oh, you're 30% or 30 times more likely to have trauma if you ride a motorbike, but it isn't true. I've got an idea. Okay. When I met my husband four years ago, I posted up on my dating profile and I said, I, I either come up with completely brilliant ideas or absolutely crazy, stupid ideas, and I just never know which one. And he said the other day, that is 100% true about me. I had this idea as you were speaking, if we were to get more safety on the road for everybody, more yes. e equity on the road space, yep. if we were to have lanes so that you had one car lane one motorcycle lane yes. you you basically get one lane as it currently is mm -hmm. and you cut that in half mm -hmm. and half of that would be for motorcyclists mm -hmm. and half of it would be for bicyclists with yes. their little feet yes. and you would have scooters the personal mobility devices they would be going on that and yes. also wheelchairs they would yes. be going in that slower lane and then you've got footpaths has that ever been put forward as an idea and what do you think about the viability of something like that in terms of trying to shift congestion? It's certainly a way forward or it's a possibility. You talk about actually splitting a standard lane in half to cater for a motorcyclist and a cyclist riding side by side. The first thing that comes to my mind in that, you actually have that now in the sense that you could be a cyclist riding along in a lane and motorcyclists can come along 
overtake you and share that lane. I mean, obviously, so long as they're giving you the reasonable distance, the, the one metre or the one and a half metre distance as they actually overtake you, there there's a lot of scope for that. What you're talking about is actually marking the road formalizing it distinction yeah um it's an interesting idea because you said that and our listener said getting motorbikes that reduces congestion and so do bicycles reduce congestion and you know it would actually make it a lot safer car drivers there's a lot of animosity out there i know from car drivers towards anyone who's not a car driver and in fact everybody else who is a car drives but all this traffic i know well they are the traffic (laughs) i guess the the thing is that driving a car makes a person very aggressive so i think that's about it with regards to helping new motorcyclists how do people find the group and what sort of stuff have you got coming up i'm particularly thinking not only how do they contact you, but you've got a new website coming, I think. You've got a website that's already open now. Any Google search, just have three words, helping new motorcyclists will bring up our Facebook page probably first, where most of our interaction happens. And there is a website that's still small, but building up, which will complement the Facebook page. Just one thing. Yep. You mentioned charity rides. Yes. We don't really organise our own charity rides, but there are a lot of annual charity rides that happen on the 17th of March. 2024. It's called the Black Dog Ride. It's a charity that supports depression and suicidal people. Is that associated with the Black Dog Institute? Yes, It's a ride that happens all over the country. Different venues basically put on this ride on that particular day. We don't organise it, but we'll be attending the one on the Sunshine Coast hinterland this year. It's usually very well organised. In previous years, they've had up to 500 motorcyclists all on the one ride. That's a big ride and it's a lot of fun too. It's organized so well that nobody gets lost and it's probably about a two-hour ride from start to finish anything else you would like to add any concluding notes so we didn't know at the time of recording what the facebook and the website addresses were but i have looked them up so here we are it's helping new motorcyclists they haven't got a specific group url yet for the facebook group if you just type in helping new Motorcyclist Queensland that will come up and the website is helping new motorcyclists qld.com so that's h-e-l-p-i-n-g-n-e-w-m-o-t-o-r-c-y-c-l-i-s-t-s qld.com as always you've been amazing great to be here thank you so much for everything john Thanks for enjoying Streets and People presented by Get Around Cabo Car Free. We publish our podcast regularly at the usual places and on our website where you can find out more about us. Getaroundcabocarfree.com.au That's www.getaround Get Around, that's pretty straightforward. Cabo, C-A-B-O, that's short for Caboolture. Car free, C-A-R-F-R-E-E, there's no hyphen in that, .com.au. Our theme music is The Thief on AM Sound, which is just like our cars on our streets, always stealing the space. So let's stop that thief. (laughs) 